Hi, I'm Perry, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. Welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real cosmetic chemists answer your beauty product questions and give you an insider's look at the beauty cosmetic industry. This is episode 209. I'm your host, Perry Romanowski, and with me today is... Uh, no, no, today is a solo episode. Valerie is out working and Cerebellum isn't available, but uh, you know what? I just wanted to get an episode out to you uh, on my own. So... There were a few audio questions that were sent in that I haven't got to, so I I guess I'm going to cover one of those. And you know what? I feel like ranting a little bit to get started. Since I'm going solo, there are uh, just a few topics that I'd like to rant a little bit about, give you the perspective of a cosmetic chemist, of somebody who actually makes these products and is not really involved in the marketing of cosmetic products. Making and marketing are actually two different things. I know that there are a lot of brands out there who market themselves as the formulator is the person who put this together and you should buy it because of the formulator or whatever. Uh, I I don't do that. Uh, You know, I've I've dabbled a bit with that, uh, but, you know, I just don't enjoy the marketing of products in that way, uh, mostly because, you know, there are a lot of great products on the market that work perfectly good, and they're uh, available at a price that I could never compete with. Uh, If I produced a a shampoo and I could make a wonderful shampoo formula, um, actually, I was part of the Tresemme formulation team, and, you know, we came up with a really good formula that that people liked. I I still love it, actually. Uh, But, you know what, there, I I personally, I couldn't make a a shampoo or a conditioner formula that works uh, that good um, for that amount of money. And so, from a consumer standpoint, you know, it's hard for me to market products that I know will cost more uh, but, and you could get other products that work just as well for less. So anyway, um, let's talk about a different topic though. Let's talk about the concept of chemical free. Can somebody please tell me something when the people say chemical free, what exactly does that mean? Now I'm I look at things from the standpoint of a scientist, but you know, you don't have to be a scientist to know that everything is a chemical, right? I mean, that was the kind of thing that you learned in grade school, wasn't it? Everybody I know had to take science class and things. And, you know, I know a lot of people don't like science in school, but everybody knows about like atoms and molecules and chemicals, right? And, you know, maybe I'm mistaken. I, I don't know. Am I being mistaken here? I don't, I don't really know. I don't think so. I think everybody that I know probably knows that, right? Anyway, so I have to think that when people claim chemical-free, they must not actually mean chemical-free in the same sense that I take it. I mean, everything is a chemical, except, of course, stuff like gravity or UV rays or radiation. But anything that you might touch or hold in your hand or put on your body as a cosmetic is just made of chemicals. Acetic acid is a chemical. Zinc oxide is a chemical. So, but what do people mean? Like, what do marketers mean when they say chemical-free sunscreens? 
like I said, zinc oxide is a chemical, so they they must mean something different. I I guess they probably mean natural or or safer or you know I I really don't know. I genuinely I genuinely want to know like what do people who market this kind of stuff and say chemical free, what do they really mean or or do they do the, they they must mean something so. Um, so anyway, maybe you can help me. Maybe I, I put up a post on our Instagram feed about this. Uh, we're at the Beauty Brains 2018. So maybe you might just weigh in. When you say or some marketer says or someone else says chemical-free, what do they specifically mean? I'm just really curious to see what people have to say. All right. How about another rant? Can we talk about active ingredients and in beauty products? On my Chemist Corner website, which is frequented by cosmetic formulators, someone there posted that they thought most ingredients, like the active ones, are overrated. They further went on to say over 99% of active skincare ingredients are overrated marketing hype. They simply do not have any visible effect on the skin, and the industry is built on lies. So to me, to say that the cosmetic industry is built on lies, that seems a bit harsh to me. Uh, I really think that it's a bit of a cynical take on the whole cosmetic industry. Now, I'm not saying they're exactly wrong. Um, there is certainly a lot of misleading going on in the cosmetic industry. But I think that take is a bit too cynical. First of all, skincare products, they actually do work. We make great cleansers, cl I mean, cleansers that will remove dirt and oil from your skin. We, we make stuff that works. Uh, we make excellent moisturizers. There are hair removal products that do actually remove hair. There's exfoliation products that'll take off the top layer of your skin. And of course, co color cosmetics are effective at making people feel better about how they look. Color cosmetics work. It, cosmetics in general work. And then of course, there are the over-the-counter drugs sort of slash cosmetics like sunscreens, antiperspirants, skin lighteners, anti-acne products. All of these things work. The active ingredients in them, the, at least the official active ingredients, actually work. But there are two significant problems with the cosmetic industry that I think leads to what seems like lies. Incidentally, I don't think the cosmetic industry really lies. It's, it's actually illegal to outright lie, uh, except in politics, of course, in political ads, you can lie about anything, apparently. Anyway, the, in the cosmetic industry, it is actually illegal to downright lie. And so when you see a cosmetic claim, uh, you can bet that the, the company making that claim, at least if it's a big company, a small company, you never know what you're going to get. But if at least it's a big company or a legitimate company, they're going to have some legal uh, reason why what they are claiming about their product is not a lie. For example, when a company says that a product will make your hair stronger, it doesn't actually make your hair stronger, but they do have support for that, and that turns into a whole robotic combing and, and hair breakage and that sort of thing. Uh, but that's a digression. The point is uh, there's no specific downright lies in the cosmetic industry. But there is a lot of misleading. And so I think there are two significant problems with the cosmetic industry that leads to what can feel like lies. One is 
there haven't been any consumer perceivable technological improvements in the last 20 or 30 years in the cosmetic industry. It's just reality. The stuff that you use right now is really pretty much the same as the stuff that you used decades ago. Um, shampoos aren't really different. Skin lotions aren't really different. Uh, you know, if, if anything, actually, the products don't work as, as well because this is due to uh, regulatory reasons and people have had to uh, substitute out ingredients that don't work as well. And the, and the bottom line is that the products that are out there uh, aren't really different. And so when you're not making any technological differences, the only thing that you can rely on is marketing. Now, the other problem is that there are no consumer perceivable proprietary technologies that's going to make one company's product stand out from another company's product. So that is to say, every company in the cosmetic industry can make a product that works just as good as every other company. I mean, L'Oreal, P&G, Unilever, they can make products that work the same as every other product on the market. You know, Drunk Elephant, their products, uh, P&G could have made their products, or Unilever could have made their products. There's nothing special about those products. There's nothing special about salon brands, Kerastase. Uh, technology is not a limitation for any company. Now, there might be some exceptions where companies have patents, but these aren't really significant performance differences, if you ask me. And the other thing is there really aren't that many examples. Um, this is just not really a thing. The bottom line is in the cosmetic industry, every single company can make a product just as good as every other product. Unfortunately, in the cosmetic industry, consumers always want something new. The products that they have might actually work perfectly fine, but you know, you get bored with them. You, you want something new. Consumers, they want to look better and switching to some new product really can give you hope that this time, maybe this time, it's going to work even better and I'm going to look better and I'm going to be happier. And the reality is the, the, the products aren't, aren't really different. Uh, you know, the story about the products is certainly different, but the way it's going to work and the way it's going to impact your skin and such, it's not different. Now, to come out with these new products, though, uh, to give people hope, that requires stories. And these stories come in the form of active ingredients. Marketers now need a hero ingredient. They, they don't want to talk about glycerin or petrolatum or mineral oil. I mean, the old technologies that still actually work perfectly well. No, they, they need new stories. They'd rather have stories about hyaluronic acid or bakuchiol or argan oil or, or I don't know, what's the hot ingredient now? Uh, CBD oil. <laughs> you know, even though you can demonstrate that these ingredients probably don't work even as well as the old technology, or in some cases they, you know, work may, might work the same, but usually they don't work as well. Uh, but they do provide new stories for cosmetic marketers. So, that leads to the misleading marketing. And, you know, yeah, there is a lot of misleading and exaggeration going on in the cosmetic industry. To me, it's it's understandable. And on some level, I think it is what consumers actually want. But if you want to be smarter about your beauty product decisions, uh, don't fall for this marketing. Um, take a look at ingredients, try products out, find a product that is priced at a level that you want 
that you're happy with, but realize that there's probably a product that is less expensive that might give you everything else that you want, at least as far as performance goes. All right, that's just a couple of rants, and I have more topics, but I'll save it for another time because I'm going to answer an audio question that was sent in some time ago. Hi, Beauty Brains. This is Stephanie from California. I hope you guys are doing well. I love the show, by the way. Just had a quick question for you guys. I've been doing eyelash lift for quite a while now. Um, I'd say about one or two months. And I came across a website that said that it wasn't only just not approved by the FDA, but it could cause blindness. I was pretty concerned about that. Also, I wanted to know whether uh, this procedure can maybe affect the growth of your eyelash or maybe cause um, any type of breakage or damage. Uh, would really love it. You guys could answer my question. Thank you so much. I look forward to hearing from you. Well, thanks so much for that, Stephanie. Oh boy. All right, let's talk about eyelash lifts. To tell you the truth, I actually had not heard of this before your question. Now I'm sure Valerie probably had, but uh, you know, you might be surprised to learn that I don't give much thought about my eyelashes. I mean, I have eyelashes, and I guess they work, and they annoy me sometimes when I occasionally get one in my eye, but mostly I don't really think about my eyelashes. In fact, just for recording the answer to this question, I made me look at my eyelashes, and I just noticed that my eyelashes actually have like a little blonde thing in them. I, I never knew. <laughs> anyway, you know, based on uh, being in the beauty industry and the questions which spark interest here in the, on the beauty brains, lots of people think more about their eyelashes than, than I actually do. So <laughs> it's a good question, actually. Now, whenever I'm introduced to a new topic, I like to go to Google Trends to see what kind of interest there is in the topic. And according to that tool, interest in eyelash lifts really took off about somewhere during 2017. And it actually seems to be growing. Uh, and just as an aside, Google Trends gives you information about how many searches that people do on a certain thing. And so when I looked up eyelash lift in Google Trends, I saw this, uh, it, was, it was flat, and then there was this big spike at right around 2017. So somebody must have launched a product then. So anyway, uh, it seems like interest in eyelash lifts is growing. So what is this eyelash lift? Well, from what I could tell, an eyelash lift is essentially a perm for your eyelashes. It's a way to permanently, well, in a temporary sort of way, we'll explain that later, it's a way to permanently curl your eyelashes. Now, after you get this done, you don't have to use those eyelash curlers anymore, which, quite frankly do look like a bit of a pain. I, I see my wife using these eyelash curlers all the time. It looks like such a pain in the butt. Anyway, yeah, you see, eyelash curlers, though, they rely on moisture and hydrogen bonding to give the eyelash some of its shape. Uh, it's more or less effective, but certainly it's not going to be long-lasting. Maybe it's going to last one evening if you're lucky, but it, your eyelashes will go back the next day, so you'll have to do it again. Eyelash lifts, on the other hand, they use uh, chemicals to actually break down some of the bonds in your hair. And so what happens is you put on this uh, lotion on the eyelashes. It breaks down uh, some of the uh, bonds in your hair. 
and then you uh, remove that, and then you re you curl the hair, uh, the the eyelash, and then you reform the bonds, and in that way it will hold the shape of that that curled shape. And you know what? This is exactly how a perm works. In fact, eyelash lifts use the same chemistry, which makes sense because eyelashes are made up of the same stuff of the hair on your head. Uh, it's made up of keratin protein. The active ingredient, uh, thioglycolic acid, actually breaks down the sulfur-sulfur bonds in your hair protein, and then you reshape the hair, and then you next you are going to reform some of those sulfur-sulfur bonds in the hair, and that's going to give it the new shape. And pretty much permanently. Well, it's it's permanent in a sense that like the next day it'll still be there. But uh, as the hair grows out, uh, the new growth is going to revert to your natural state. Now, there are some other ingredients in there, but pretty much the active ingredient, the one that makes this thing works, is the thioglycolic acid. Now, you had two questions. First one, is it safe? God, no. <laughs> this seems like a terrible idea to me. Thioglycolic acid is not something that you want to be around your eyes. It can cause severe burns and chemical injuries on your skin, your eyes, your respiratory tract. You know, it's corrosive and can even lead to uh, induce systemic toxicity. This just isn't a safe ingredient to be used around your eye. Yes, it can cause blindness so that, that, or scratch your cornea. I mean, there are some significant problems here. Now, when you put this uh, ingredient on your head when you're doing perms, I'm going to say there's less risk of it getting in your eyes. But, you know, you could still get chemical burns on your scalp uh, if it's being done by somebody who doesn't take proper precautions to make sure none of the chemical uh, or a minimal amount of chemical is going to touch your scalp skin. Now, when they're doing these eyelash lifts, they put a silicone wafer on your eyes and the eyelashes are on that and... Um, they take some precautions, but boy, it seems really risky to me. You know, around the eyes, putting thioglycolic acid around the eyes is just not a good idea. But you know what? Maybe I'm being a little overly cautious. You have to say to yourself, well, you know, salons all over the country are offering this service. How bad could it really be? The reality is, I don't know. I don't have the stats to tell you how many people have eye injuries as a result of this. Uh, I haven't seen the stories where people have gone blind because they got their eyelashes done. I really just don't know. All I know is that this could happen. This is a real danger. And then you have to decide, is risking your eyesight really worth a treatment like this? Is that pain of using that eyelash curler really uh, that much of a pain that you would risk actually injuring your eyes or going blind? Personally, I would say no, but you know, I, I don't really think much about my eyelashes anyway. Some people obviously think that it's worth it, uh, but boy, it seems very scary to me. All right, on to your other question. Y you know, actually, as an aside, I... I do always find it amusing or, or sad or, or, or something, I don't know, that people worry about these minuscule levels of parabens or 1,4-dioxane or lead in lipstick. And these things, if they represent any risk at all, 
the, the risk is so tiny to have almost no impact on your life at all. I mean, if you, you, if you ate a tube of lipstick every day, it's still not going to harm you for, for your entire life. The amounts that you would have to uh, eat for the lead and lipstick to uh, harm you, well, it, it, you, you just could never eat that much. So all that is to say is that these are tiny, tiny risks. But people stay away from parapins, right? Meanwhile, some of these same people are putting thioglycolic acid right next to their eye. I mean, this is a much more significant risk. It just, it makes no sense to me. Uh, but okay, let's get back to your other question. Can this procedure affect the growth of your future lashes or affect the hair? Well, I did look it up. This ingredient is cytotoxic, which means that it can kill cells. So if the liquid gets into your hair follicle and it travels down and it gets into the bulb where the living cells are, yeah, it can kill those cells. And once your cells in the follicle are killed, then that hair stops growing. And so, yeah, this could have a real effect of uh, preventing your eyelashes from growing in the future. Now, whether it will have that effect, you know, I'm not sure uh, if it is being applied correctly. There's no reason it really should get that down that far into the hair follicle, but geez, it certainly could. So yeah, it can affect the future growth of your eyelashes, and it will make your current eyelash hairs actually weaker. Whenever you break the bonds in a hair fiber, whether it's on your head or your eyelashes, you necessarily weaken that structure. And so when you do this to your eyelashes, you are going to make them more brittle and they can uh, break more easily, fall off, and, and then get into your eye, and then you can't get them out. But uh, So yeah, it definitely can have uh, the effect of weakening your uh, eyelash hairs. Now, I will note also that the FDA does not specifically say that you have to avoid doing eyelash lifts. I looked through the FDA's website. They didn't have anything up. They didn't write anything about this. You know, perhaps they haven't really heard about it. I mean, this has only started to become popular in 2017. So that's relatively recent. And the FDA is actually quite slow. They still haven't even approved a sunscreen monograph that started in the 1970s. <laughs> so, I mean, they do say don't use hair colorants on your eyelashes or brows because uh, of the reactive chemistry there. Now, that's different chemistry, but both of these use, you know, reactive ingredients and they're dangerous. So, I don't know. The bottom line is that, yes, this uh, lash lift treatment does work and it will give you permanently, I mean, mostly, permanently curled eyelashes. And so it's not surprising to me that it's effective. But boy, I sure don't think it's safe. All right, I think that's probably enough for this solo episode. Next week, Valerie is going to be back, and we're going to be answering more of your questions. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate everybody who tunes in, everybody who talks to us on Instagram, Twitter, on Facebook. Incidentally, you can follow us on our social media. On Instagram, we're at TheBeautyBrains2018. On Twitter, we're at TheBeautyBrains. And we also have a Facebook page. You can find that. The Beauty Brains are also on Patreon, so if you want to support the show, Patreon is the best way to do that. I thank everybody who's already a patron, and in our next show, I'm going to go through and read all your names, and thank you. Thank you so much. 
But if you like what we do on this show and you want to see us keep it going and you want to see it remain ad-free, boy, I hate it when my favorite podcasts have ads, but, but I understand people need to get compensated for their time. But we're trying to do it in a different way, the way that does not require commercials. And so if you like what we do and you want to help support it, go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and subscribe. All right, that's all from me. Thanks again for listening. And remember, be brainy about your beauty. Cue up the cats. Kittens! <laughs>